And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Wednesday, November the 22nd, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, was shot to death during a motorcade in Dallas, Texas. Governor John B. Connolly, riding in the same car as Kennedy, was seriously wounded. Sus- uh, suspected gunman Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as president. I'm pretty sure that if you were alive then, you remember that day. You probably remember where you were when you heard that. These were that Those were different times. We, we were more... Virtuous, perhaps, in those days. We were less jaded as a nation. Violence had not yet happened in America as it has now. And I think every American was shocked by what they heard. I've never voted for a Democrat in my life, but I was shocked. It was a sad day. Very sad in America. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard. I was at an Arco station on Walnut in Yakima, Washington. I couldn't believe it. The guy there said, Gary, he said, the president's been shot. And I said, the president of what? He said, of the United States. I thought he had made a mistake. November 22nd, 1963. Today in 1718, English pirate Edward Teach, he was better known as Blackbeard. He was killed during a battle off what is now North Carolina. Today in 1906, the SOS distress signal was adopted by the International Radio Telegraphic Convention in Berlin. SOS. Today in 1935, a flying boat, the China Clipper, took off from Alameda, California. It was carrying more than 100,000 pieces of mail on the first Trans-Pacific airmail flight. Remember when we used to decide whether our letter was going to go regular or airmail? You paid a little extra for the airmail. Well, it started today in 1935. Today in 1943, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Chinese leader Chiang Kai-shek They met in Cairo to discuss measures for defeating Japan. And today in 1967, the UN Security Council approved uh, Resolution 242 that called for Israel to withdraw from territories it had captured the previous June and implicitly called on adversaries to recognize Israel's right to exist. Israel one of the smallest nations in the world, land size, is the center of attention so often in the news. It continues to be today. Israel and Palestinian terrorist group Hamas announced overnight, while we were sleeping here in America, that they'd reached a temporary ceasefire deal. It includes the release of Israeli hostages being held in the Gaza Strip. There's been a lot of pressure behind the scenes for Netanyahu to go along with this. I jotted down a few things that 
from reliable news sources today. It's a developing story. You'll hear about it today. It'll be spun in a, probably a dozen different ways. The attitude of the people reading the news on your evening news, television news tonight, will probably be leaning heavily against Israel. It usually is. But here's what I've been able to find out from reliable sources, what's happening. As I said, this is happening as we speak this morning. The agreement is set to go into effect Thursday at 10 a.m. local time. That would be 3 a.m. Eastern time uh, tomorrow morning. This is according to Hamas. Israel has not yet confirmed the same thing. But the news media is already, the East Coast news media is starting to run with this story. So I I presume Israel has confirmed it, but I couldn't find any confirmation of that. How did Israel and Hamas come to a ceasefire deal? How did they get to this? Well, in the Middle East, eastern nation of Qatar, or Qatar, uh, Qatar played a, a key role in brokering the deal between Israel and Hamas. Qatar's government said in a statement last night that both sides, quote, have agreed to this deal after weeks of intense negotiations and that it, quote, led the mediation efforts in coordination with the United States and regional partners from whom we express our gratitude. They specifically mentioned Egypt. How long will it take to remove the hostages from the Gaza Strip? Well, I looked into that. The first of the 50 hostages, including three Americans, are expected to be released from captivity in Gaza starting at 10 a.m. local time uh, tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day. The hostages are expected to be released in groups of 10 to 12 over the course of four days if, if the ceasefire holds. Jeff Paul, I, he's a reporter for uh, Fox News, he said that in, in a piece that he wrote this morning, he said that the hostages are expected to be released in the 10 to 12 uh, groups of 10 to 12 over the four days. But he says that, that is the way they've done it in previous releases. The hostages first went through a border crossing in the city of Rafa at the southern end of Gaza Strip into Egypt. The, uh, they were then flown back to Israel to be evaluated at hospitals before talking to Israeli security forces about what they had seen and been through and so on. He said that has been the way it has worked over over the past years when these kinds of situations have happened. So that apparently is what they'll do, according to him. But he didn't know for sure. He just had a history of how they normally do this. But the office of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said this release this morning. He said the release of every additional 10 hostages will result in one additional day in the pause in the fighting. They're calling it, and this is worthy to remember, they're calling it, the press and the left are calling it a ceasefire. Netanyahu is calling it a pause. So he says... uh, the uh, additional 10 hostages will re- result in one additional day as a pa- in the pause in the fighting, which is currently expected to last four days. So Netanyahu's looking at this as a four-day pause. They're using the word um, <laughs> over and over and over again as a ceasefire. So I, I don't, Netanyahu is not ceasing fire. They may think he is, but he's not, according to what he's saying. Both sides have indicated that the war isn't over following the conclusion of the temporary ceasefire, however long it ends up 
happening. Netanyahu's office says the government of Israel, the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, and the security services will continue the war in order to return home all the hostages, complete the elimination of Hamas, and ensure that there will be no threat to the state of Israel from Gaza. Meanwhile, Hamas said, this is their quote this morning, At the time when we announced the arrival of a truce agreement, we affirmed that our victorious brigades and all our resistance factions will remain the protective shield and defender of our people until the occupation and aggression are defeated. We promise our people that we will remain loyal to their blood, their sacrifices, their patience, their bond, their aspirations for liberation, freedom, the restoration of rights, and the establishment of an independent Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital, with God's will. End of quote from Hamas. Well, the God that they're seeking the will of is not the God we serve. It's not the biblical God. It's Allah. That's someone very different than the God of the Bible, the true and living God. But anyway, they're wishing his will upon them as they basically want to take over Israel. They want to take over land that they once lived on, but they claim it as their own. But we've talked about this before, and I don't have time to go back into it today, but the, the, the land, the holy land as we know it, Israel, and, and a much larger area was given to Israel by God, and it's, it was recognized by early tribes. And over time, I mean, it's it's Israel's land for more than 2,000 years. And so when they claim it as their own, it's a very recent thing. It's not rooted in history or truth at all. But there is some good news coming out of Israel, Gaza. More than 200 Muslims in Gaza have reportedly asked to follow Jesus after meeting him in a dream. <clears throat> this is kind of an unusual thing that's happened. It's It has a, a, a thread of, of miraculous to it. A Christian professor and president of Risen Jesus Incorporated, his name is Michael Lacana. He's written several books that I'm aware of. He's pretty well known. I don't know him, but he's pretty well known. I see him show up on a lot of different programs, um, television programs and one thing or another. Anyway, he says he's received a report from underground Christian ministries in Palestine detailing some of the miraculous conversions. He said God is working in the midst of war. And he recently shared this on Facebook. He said, oh, and others are reporting this as well. It isn't just us here. Other people are picking up on this story, Christian uh, websites and organizations in particular. He is a credible guy. I mean, what he says is, is usually pretty connected to truth. So anyway, he said, over the past two days, we've ministered to hundreds of fathers who have lost most, if not all, of their children in the war. And as we moved these men to safety, we fed them, we washed their clothes, and began to read the Bible to them, sharing the way of peace through Jesus. Then he said a big miracle happened. Last night, Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them in their dreams. All of these guys had this dream about Jesus. They have come back to us now, and once they had been helped by these Christians, 
they came back to them and they wanted to learn more about God's word. They said they, they did, were not aware of that. They didn't know that what those guys were talking about, talking about Jesus and Christianity to them. And they were asking how they could follow Jesus. What must I do to be saved? If, essentially, they didn't use those words, but that's what this ministry was saying. And Lacona is quoting from this Christian ministry that's inside the with the people there. And he's a professor at Houston Christian University. As I said, he's written several books. One of them is the, the Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. And another one that he wrote is, I think it's the name of it is Paul Meets Muhammad, something like that. Anyway, he's a legitimate guy, and he's, he's reporting on this. Former Muslim turned Christian apologist, this um, Nabil Qureshi, he um, he once wrote, he said, Mike Lacona was instrumental in my journey out of Islam to Christ. He said, while I was a Muslim college student, Mike invited me to his home regularly to discuss the historicity of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He said, the evidence Mike presented to me was so compelling that formed the keystone of my co- uh, conversion. He said, since then, I've seen his work so powerfully impact thousands with historical evidence of the Christian faith. So this is the guy that is reporting this story. And these 200 Muslims, men, all saw essentially the same, had the same dream, independent of one another, except they were, they were known to each other. But they all had this independent dream about Jesus. And um, it's very interesting. It's a terrible situation in, in the right now in Gaza, but believers are taking shelter. They're running out of food and water and medical supplies, uh, Joel Rosenberg says. But he said they are essentially trapped in the churches. But he said starting in the last 24 hours, the IDF has been ordering the Palestinian Christians, that, okay, now you really do have to move south because there's so many more operations we have to do. Rosenberg said, well, the problem is there's ter- they're terrified to go to the south because they're not Muslims, they're Christians. And the Hamas and Islamic Jihad and other violent, genocidal Islamic extremists are going to slaughter the Christians. And so it goes. But the role of the Christians, names are being added to the role that will someday be called up yonder. Both Israel and civilian and military leaders, including those in the war cabinet and the security cabinet, have been informed and are having internal discussions regarding the crisis facing the Christians that are holed up in the three churches in Gaza City. So that's what's going on behind the scenes in Gaza. While Gaza, Israel, Jerusalem dominates, once again dominates the headlines of the world. It's an amazing thing. The Bible is very clear about Israel's role in history and in the end times. I believe we're beginning to see that become a reality in our lifetime. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and um, <clears throat> we'll be talking about Thanksgiving tomorrow with a special edition of this program. I'm going to tell you a little bit of behind the behind the story, the backstory of Thanksgiving. But after George Washington authorized the first Thanksgiving Day in 1789, 74 years passed without another day of thanks. 
Then Abraham Lincoln established the holiday as an annual event in America. His Thanksgiving proclamation is very touching. It's very much to the point. I can, I have not read, I, I think he has made one, but I have not read it yet this morning. President Biden, but his are generally not very weighty, much like Barack Obama's proclamations on Christmas and Thanksgiving and any religious holiday. And Thanksgiving is a religious holiday. It's intended to be. I don't know what they have said. But I think it's important what Abraham Lincoln had to say. Abraham Lincoln was not driven by politics so much. In fact, often he put aside politics and just spoke from his heart. The Gettysburg Address, a nation divided. His friends were telling him, don't say that, Abe. Don't give that speech because you'll never be elected to office if you go out there and tell them that the United States is divided. A house divided cannot stand. He said, they, his friends told him, even his law partner, his business partner, said, don't do that. We, we, we love you, brother, and don't go out and say this stuff because you'll just never get elected to an office. He said, but it's true. And they said, we know it's true, but don't say it publicly. It's not politically to your advantage. That was the Abraham Lincoln who actually eventually gave his life. He was assassinated, as we all know, for what he believed and what he did as president of the United States. He said a house can't stand that's divided, quoting Jesus. He went on to say it'll become all of one thing or all of the other. He was talking about slavery, of course, but he said it can't continue. And he said, I do not believe that America is going to collapse. It's going to fall. He said, I believe, I believe that we will continue. We will be held and we will be successful and we will go forward as a nation. But we can't continue as a house divided. It was a powerful speech, and it did. It riled up some of the people that heard him. I mean, many of them did, and they 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 were upset at him. They said, "How can this be? What what is he? Why is he saying this?" And so on. It is in that spirit, not in a rebellious spirit, but a an honest spirit, wanting to speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. He put aside uh, politics. And he spoke from his heart. Here's what he had to say. Abraham Lincoln. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God. To confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scripture. And proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We have been the recipients, he said, of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved through these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. 
We've been vainly, we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. He said, It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged, as with one heart and one voice, by the whole American people. That doesn't sound like separation of church and state, does it? I do therefore, he said, invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. President Lincoln not only authorized our annual Thanksgiving Day in 1863 in the midst of the Civil War, he gave the country a picture of what Thanksgiving should look like. In the darkest times, the light of God's truth and his love for each of us shines more brightly. Have you ever been through a very difficult time in your life where, I know the answer is yes, we all have, where everything is Everything seems to not be working right. It seems, in fact, sometimes is going wrong. And you wonder, of course, well, what have I done? And the Christian, the sincere person says, am I being judged for something or whatever? We go through all of this. I've gone through it in my own life. I've gone through it with a, a thousand people in their lives as I have been in the ministry my entire adult life. I know what it's about. And there's a pattern, and it's very much similar in every case. It doesn't matter whether it's big or little. It's big to the person who's going through the dark and the troubling times. Our nation went through those kinds of times leading up to the Civil War. We were divided over the issue of can a man own another man? Slavery. And people in their hearts knew we could not allow that because God does not allow it. God sets people free. He doesn't put them in bondage to another person. And so during in that kind of an, a, a secular cultural environment, Abraham Lincoln stood and said words like these that I've just shared with you. He spoke the truth. He didn't hesitate. He didn't blink. He didn't count the political cost. He simply spoke the truth. We've gone through a number of phases in this country, but perhaps today in America would be a day that would alarm a President Lincoln and Washington and Adams and Jefferson and many of them in the founding days of this nation. It should alarm all of us today, not the founders of America, but the beneficiary of what they did. There's a lot to be thankful for today, but we've raised a generation that's not only not thankful, they have an expectation that they have a right to things they don't have a right to, and that they're owed things that they're not owed. 
They have a right. They have a right to live freely, but they don't have a right to live off the state. But we've raised a generation that in some cases they believe that they have a right to be cared for and they look to the state. We have some of the same problems. It's just about a different issue. I think today as we give thanks to the Lord, and there is so much to give thanks for, we have been blessed beyond measure. We have prospered. We have been free. But I think once again we stand at the threshold. We stand at the edge of the cliff. And it concerns me about the next generation, should the Lord tarry. I believe I believe that it's a time for an awakening. I believe a, Christians in particular need an awakening. Maybe we need a dream of Jesus, like those Muslim guys that I spoke about a few moments ago. I mean, something to awaken us to reality of, of the time in which we live. And yet, this is a time to be thankful. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how the America was developed, America happened in a miraculous way. It's miraculous how God brought about the founding of America. I know there are voices out there today that deny that. They rip the pages out of the Bible. They don't allow children to be taught that in school and taught the real history of our nation in school and so on. But the reality is the true history gives us a different perspective. And I'll be telling one story that makes that point tomorrow. But this is a time to give thanks, but to do so with understanding of our times. And as we give thanks and supplication, asking God to heal our land and to heal our hearts and to change this nation, God can do that. And I believe that he will if we just open our hearts in thanksgiving and gratitude. In the darkest times, the light of God's truth and his love for each of us shines more brightly. We know these words, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Most of us know that from memory, I think, if we go to church. It's a doxology. We know that as the first verse, but many of us don't know the second verse. The second verse of the doxology says this. Praise God the Father who's the source. Praise God the Son who is the course. Praise God the Spirit who is the flow. Praise God our portion here below. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thanks for being with me today. It's always an honor, and thank you for your support. We need it if we are to continue. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow.